How you doing, brother? I'm hanging in there, man. I'm doing pretty good. It's been a productive week, and uh, yeah, feeling good. Hanging yeah, in there, is that, like, is that good for you? Like, normally when I hear hanging in there, I think on the emotional scale, that's like, there's some shit that's been going on. <laughs> Dude, that's my whole life. <laughs> what, shit's been going on? Shit's been going on since I popped up my mom's vagina. <laughs> Thank you, mother. <laughs> <laughs> incredible um ability to manifest us humans oh yeah allow us to be these independent vessels and vehicles of expression amen to that amen to that how about yourself man look at that my beer is is only partially available <laughs> how are you are you're manifesting beer out of thin air it looks like you literally just pulled it out of thin air ah oh. watch this watch You've reached enlightenment, Tyler. Here we go. <gasps> this is so good. All these conversations, you took them to heart, and now you're just manifesting whatever you want out of thin air. And just like, if that doesn't, if that doesn't sell this content, I don't know what will. I'll give it a try. Uh, uh, nope, not yet. <laughs> Here, take this one. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, brother. So I just watched uh, the video that Grayson sent. I went back to the first one that he sent, and it was on the theory that how uh, everything could be perceived as a hologram. Everything in the hmm. universe be perceived yes. as a hologram. And they walked through this whole series of thinking around a fish that's in a you know like a bathtub, and then the bathtub drain starts going. That the speed, the velocity of the pole increases the closer that you get to that point. And then it actually increases to such a point that it gets beyond the speed of sound so the, the fish could communicate prior. But you know, once it gets into that vortex and it's going faster than the speed of sound, it goes And so one would, they're, they're making the, the argument that everything in the world is actually bits, right? And so we, we can distill everything down to um, being bits of information. And so physical, particulate matter, et cetera. So that fish has bits, but also does the other fish, you know, perceiving their friend disappearing. Like, where did it go? It just went down the drain. But where did it end up? Did it die? Did it, like, what happened to it? And so this is the most, uh, you know, the first step, the first most rudimentary um, perspective or analysis of how uh, what what could happen to the material because the idea here is that the bits don't ever get created or destroyed right matter cannot be created or destroyed it can only be transferred and so it it progresses from there and it, it's fascinating it was a it was a fast conversation for me to wrap my head around and you should also uh, check it out he posted in that group text message yeah Oh, yeah, go up. It's, it's one of the first ones. It's the first YouTube video. And then he posted another one. Um, and so I thought, you know, at this evening, we, we'd have, you know, whatever direction that, that you want to go, whether that's pyramids and ancient Egyptians and their technology or understanding of space and time and, you know, all these uh, different things that we are just now beginning to catch up on or haven't yet. Uh, <laughs> if you want to touch on any of the, the numerous other concepts that you brought up man Feel free. Man, astral, astral projection i think we might say for another one that can get pretty comprehensive and deep but dreaming in itself 
Um, maybe we can just do dreaming just to start off. Um, I got, um, actually, yeah, here, I'm, I'm gonna, see, can I, can I send, yeah, I can, I can send text through here. I'm gonna send you uh, this interesting article here just to, just to check out the title. And you can read it at your own leisure. The title is, the pandemic is giving people vivid and unusual dreams. Here's why. Hmm. And to give like an abridged version of this article, they're talking about how, um, you know, they're theorizing that, <clears throat> and it, I, it's a valid theory, that uh, A, we're having a, an unusually different variable that's causing a greater increase in like fear and stress. The pandemic is this huge unknown, right? You don't know if you're gonna have your job, you don't know if you're gonna die, you don't know if your family's gonna survive. There's a lot of, there's a lot of unknown fear. So that by itself puts you in this different, this different frame of reference you're not used to. And B, it's forcing you to be home. Most people are used to like leaving their homes and doing stuff. But in a way, even though you sleep in your own place and you're there for a chunk of your time, to be there 24 seven is still in a sense, a huge shift in your day-to-day -day reality. So the combination of, of A, high levels of, you know, of, of different amounts of stress and, and fear, and B, being in this new environment is causing your brain to kind of process it in a different way. Um, a lot of scientists that study dreams, one, one thought about dreams is that uh, dreams are a way for the conscious mind to sort of sort out and purge and deal with high levels of emotion. Typically mm -hmm. negative, typically negative, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to have um, a bad dream if you've been really stressed about something, you know, if you're like really worried about uh, maybe like your boss, like you're really confident your boss is going to fire you or something and it's just all you've been thinking about, you could have a dream like a or, or like a nightmare where your boss actually does, or the dream could end up being um, something where you find a solution or of that, that nature. Um, we had talked in a previous episode about the Seth series and his commentary on, on viruses and pandemics, how in a sense a pandemic is, it's a, it's a predetermined event that the, that the mass unconscious kind of votes on. Mm. I, say, I say the mass unconscious, but like, it's more of like in, in, in Carl Jungian's terms, the, um, the what, what did he call it? He, the mass something, the mass, the mass, the mass subconscious or something. Um, I have a question for you. Do you keep a dream journal yourself of any sort? No, should I? Well, okay, it depends. How often do you remember your dreams? <laughs> you and me, my friend, are very different in that regard. I, I very infrequently remember dreams. Now, hmm. am I getting into more uh, dream states through meditation, for example? on a daily basis, through yoga, um, when I close my eyes, my imagination is becoming more clear. But as far as like waking up, remembering, you know, what dreams I had or, or what content was covered within those dreams, um, it's fairly elusive. Okay. And there could be two reasons at the top of my head I can probably think of why. One is that you're probably already kind of living your dreams. If you are, <laughs> if you are living, your dreams already, there may be less of a need for you to remember them in the, in the waking hours. Or B, it's your pattern of how you wake up. Uh, if you don't want me asking, in terms of like your own day-to-day -day life, 
uh, how often or how early do you set yourself up to wake up each day? Do you, do you set yourself to wake up pretty early? Do you wake up naturally? Um, yeah, I'm all over the share? map. I'm all, all over, over the map. Yeah, sometimes okay. I'll be up at, you know, 3, 4, or 5 a.m., rarely. Um, other times it'll be, you know, 7, 8, 9. And the last two days it's been 11 and noon, respectively. Okay. Okay. That honestly could be a big part as to why. By not having a set time that you sort of wake up, um, there, there's this – so everyone dreams. All, all human beings dreams, a good portion of mammals and fish, reptiles, pretty much most, most multi-limbed creatures dream to some degree. Um, and there is this slight in-between state where as you're waking up, uh, the, dream, the dream memory actually sort of, it sort of exists in the, um, in the amygdala. The amygdala is the part of the brain that handles the emotional processing. And it's also where your short-term memory is. Now, when you were in biology class back in the day, you might have learned about, um, there's, at least in human beings, we have short-term memory and we have long-term memory. Short-term memory, it can vary from person to person. Some people have very sharp short-term memory, very broad short-term memory. Others do not. Uh, you know, difference, you know, some people have disorders where they are not able to download anything new in their short-term memory. Like there are some type of rare um, instances where people, either through a brain injury or through some type of a infection, whether it's bacterial or, or viral, that affects their brain structure to where, where wherever that incident happened is where their, their long-term memory um, for that point exists as their only point of reference. Like, have you ever seen 51st Dates? Yes. With Adam Sandler and uh, Drew Barrymore? That's a perfect yep. example, right? She does have memory, but it's only at one point in her life. Um, Short-term memory... A really good analogy is short-term memory is the RAM in a computer. Your RAM also has short-term memory, and then you have the ability to save that onto your hard drive, which is like your permanent long-term long-term storage. Um, <clears throat> dreams, because they involve the emotional centers of the brain and your pre and your prefrontal cortex, uh, they dwell in the amygdala. They are actually, in a sense, very akin to short-term memory in, in a RAM state of a computer. Mm. If there's not a conscience action to recollect it, then it just simply wipes. It's like clearing the cache in your browser, clearing your search mm -hmm. history, instead, and before you're able to bookmark or save those files. So there's actually a couple of steps that you can take if you are interested in um, tapping into your dreams. Um, yeah. There are many good books out there on the nature of dreams, why they're important. Um, a really big part as to what created my interest in dreams is it, it's a way to really learn your to learn about yourself mm. um the, the few books that i've read of those that really look into the psychology of dreaming uh, a few people have been able to create this concept called a dream mandala um, have you ever heard of the term mandala yes please define yeah so in tibetan yogi um a mandala is it's like this strange circular pattern it's a circular repeating pattern. It's almost kaleidoscopic. And um, in Tibet, they will draw these mandalas. I'll actually pull one up since we can share screens and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so a mandala, here, and here's the Merriam-Webster definition, is a Hindu or Buddhist graphic symbol of the universe, specifically a circle, always circular, enclosing a square with a deity, deity on each side that is used chiefly as an aid for meditation. 
Yeah, there are many or Buddhist. How did you say that exactly? Hindu or Buddhist belief system. But it was around the universe, right? Yeah, it symbolizes the universe. And it's always done in such a manner to where it's symmetrical. The symbolism is typically symmetrical always. So even though there's like different imagery, there's different variations in imagery. For the most part, it's this cohesive uh, sy symmetrical image in the center. And um, <clears throat> there's this idea that we all contain as this unique point of consciousness, as this point of all that is, or our God self or whatever, we all have our own unique version of this mandala. And this mandala, we all have a unique mandala and it is sort of the, the point of projection. Uh, the, way that I, the way I like to visualize it is that this mandala is this camera lens. No, not a camera. Well, yeah, either a camera lens or a lens on an aperture. Um, something where light passes through and the projection of the light that passes through, you, maybe you could consider our 3D version self as that uh, projection of this mandala. And to discover details of this, you can, you can kind of piece together um, pieces of your own mandala through exploring your own dreams. Um, in, an, in an earlier episode, I'd referenced how I have been keeping a dream journal. And one of the exercises I learned about in keeping a dream journal is when you're writing down a dream journal to write down all the details, events, emotions, um, situations, and objects, objects, things, people, anything, anything you can remember and keep an eye out over time. You, you have to kind of collect this dream data over time to, to, to sift through it and see what, what, what repeats over and over and over again. I had made a mention from that story about my first ayahuasca night about the, the, the spider being my spirit animal. I, I have seen the spider in my dreams more than any other symbol, hundreds of times. So the spider, for instance, would probably be somewhere in my own personal mandala. Um, I also see a lot of aliens. <laughs> so spiders and aliens would be a part of my mandala, possibly. What um, style of aliens are we talking about here? Oof, um, oof, uh, that would be <laughs> that would be a whole nother that'd be a whole nother episode, uh, for sure. Um, I, I had made mention to you about this, you know, this entity named Bashar that's channeled. And uh, so for those that, that listen, you know, everyone, everyone has a different belief system about our origin. I, I belong in the camp that believes we were uh, a genetic experiment. Human beings were a genetic experiment. I don't think we just magically spawned from some godhead. Um, and the species or the intelligent life that were responsible for creating us essentially on earth, um, a hybrid between the naturally evolved hominids and their DNA. I believe we have some star cousins related to them, either their ancestors or their offspring, many generations, I, I believe have kept an eye on us, I, you know, with, with all the UFO reports coming out. I mean, even just yesterday, at least twice, three times a month, um, I'll see a news article hit main, you know, mainstream news about uh, some strange object being found on the International Space Station live feed that they cut video on. And there's UFO sightings all the time uh, all over the US, especially the, the Pacific Northwest, lots, lots of UFO activity. 
so I believe that some of the UFOs that interact with us are kind of kind of distant relatives. Just checking up and seeing. I wonder how our genetic experiment is going. And <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be, we can definitely do a deep dive into that. That'd, that'd We're going to have to do a deep dive into that one. You can't just touch on that and go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I got a lot of material on, on that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I'll, back to dreaming. So for those that are interested, I, I, know, this, I know that there's a lot of information that, that we kind of just push out there. And I know some, some people out there like me like to have some, something uh, tangential or, or a source. Um, there, it, there was a Stanford professor by the name of um, Stephen, Stephen LaBerge, you know, a PhD at Stanford, who was the first uh, accredited professor to prove the existence of lucid dreaming. Um, thanks to his studies and all of his hard work, he was able to essentially discover that we do, in fact, have lucid dreams. And it's something that we can, um, we can study, we can do experiments with, we can measure. And lucid dreaming in itself is a very interesting phenomenon. There is a book out there. Let's see. It's just, it's just called Lucid Dreaming. For anyone that's very interested in, in dreaming or lucid dreaming in general. Well, that, that um, seems pretty topical right there. Val Kilmer doesn't believe in death. Say what? You, uh, your, your homepage right there, your, your DuckDuckGo search page. Top left. Val Kilmer doesn't believe. Oh, it was before you typed in lucid dream. Oh, really? Oh, Val Kilmer, did, whoa. Oh, I was just, yeah, interesting. We'll have to just check this out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember, I, I had this book a long time ago. I gave it to my counselor friend, Lucid Dreaming book. It's just called Lucid Dreaming. And it's by, here it is, Robert Wagner. Yes, this is such a good book. Mm. Um, this book, this book really blew up, blew open my mind on um, what what the nature of dreaming is and how it interplays with our day to day consciousness. So some of the earliest references to the idea of lucid dreaming uh, comes from the, the, the Tibetan yogis, and the well, and as far as our records can go, as far back, uh, Tibetan yoga started around roughly 800 A.D. and their belief in their practices is that if you can um, master your personal awareness to the point to where you can master lucid dreaming, you can stay really cautious throughout the waking life, you can transition that same level of awareness into your dreaming life and never quote unquote fall asleep. And, the, and that was their version of enlightenment, that if you could master lucid dreaming, then uh, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the Tibetan Book of the Dead uh, you could avoid Bardo. You could avoid reincarnation because they, they believe that death was going into a very intense dream. And if you could remain conscious, you wouldn't get swept up into another incarnation. You wouldn't get swept up and awaken as another waking life dream character. You would retain your awareness. So, so these practicers would spend all day in this deep meditation where all they would do, oh, and here it is. I also have this book. This is, another, this is the book itself, The Tibetan Yogas of Dream and Sleep. They would practice every day to be super present in the now. And they would have these different techniques, such as um, they would have these types of devices that would make noise where they would remind themselves every period, like, ding, 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 like, like a little bell or something. Am I awake? Am I, aw or, am I awake or am I sleeping right now? 
And a lot of these techniques that these people that the Tibetan yogis have, have evolved, um, this book right here, this is the book Exploring the World of Lucid Dreaming. This is, this is by Stephen LeBurge, the this professor at Stanford. Um, a lot of techniques this team actually took and adapted into modern practices. And when I had the time, when I was, in, when I was a young adult and I was, I think I was like 19, 20, living with my parents still for a little bit, and um, I had the time and the space to start practicing this in depth, sure enough, like building a habit, if you practice some of these techniques, it works. It's kind mm -hmm. of bizarre, it actually works. Uh, it's just, it's simply just building a habit um, and having your subconscious sort of take on that habit. I have since then not keeping up my practice, so my ability to lucid dream has kind of waned, but I'm still, I still have pretty vivid dreams. Even during this pandemic situation, I've had a lot of interesting dreams. So anyways, to go back to uh, this point in lucid dreaming of why it was so fascinating, this man, Robert Wagner, he's one of the rare individuals. There's a, there's a small percentage of human beings who just for some reason or another naturally are gifted at lucid dreaming. They can just naturally, spontaneously have lucid dreams all the time. And for the listeners out there who don't know what a lucid dream is, a lucid dream is when you are in a dream and you are fully cognizant that you're dreaming. Like you have 100% awareness, oh, I am in a dream. And for any of you those have experienced it, it is rare. For the, for the large majority of people that experience it, it's super rare. And it's something you don't forget. Uh, for those that are curious, who haven't tried it, I would highly recommend looking into and giving it a shot because I'm just going to speak from my own personal experience. Experiencing a lucid dream is the most, it, it, for me, is, is the most intense experience you can have at that, like, alive that you can remember. It's, oh, Woo. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Tyler. Like it's, it's, it's so, I'll say this much. I've had some lucid dreams that seemed way more real than waking reality. Way more Whoa. real. Yeah. I would wake up and I'd wake up in my physical, in this physical reality. And this would seem dull in comparison, a few shades duller, a little bit more gray. It's bizarre. Yeah. Woo. It's incredible. <laughs> and in this lucid dreaming state, Oh, it's this, it's this magical dimension where not only is anything possible, but there's this level of understanding that you can access only in that dimension, only in that awareness. Um, so this man, Robert Wagner, he, like I said, he uh, just wrote this book about his, his own experiences. And ever since he was a little kid, he could just naturally lucid dream. From what research uh, that was published by uh, Stephen LeBurge and his team, there's like 5% or some, some, some small degree that, of people that can just naturally do that. The majority of us, we have to work the hard way to, to reach that state. But this dude, dream, he, he is living in lucid dreams all the time, multiple times a week. And uh, he wrote this amazing um, autobiography on his experiences as well as the discoveries. So when he is a uh, younger man, he does what any young man would do and just have lucid dreams where you can just pretend that you're fucking any celebrity, right? Or just super attractive women. You, you would just have these intense sex dreams <laughs> because it's like, at to your point, Tyler, about um, this being a simulation, a lucid dream is literally like a hyperactive thought, thought controlled um, simulation, a hyper simulation. When you're in a lucid dream, anything that you think of can just manifest or you can do anything. Like I've, people have talked about having dreams where they fly. I have had those experiences. I've had a lucid dream where like, okay, I'm just gonna fly and you do. And it's exhilarating. Like you can feel the wind just like brushing through your face and your hair. You can feel the momentum and the, and the, and the gravity as you're pulling up. It's, 
it's so hard to explain, but it's, it's so, it's so visceral. It's so real. So yeah, so this guy, you know, started off doing just, just very carnal stuff, very, very obvious stuff, you know, like have really cool matrix like action fighting and all that, all that jazz. Um, but the one point I wanted to bring up that's, that really stuck with me is um, at some point in his explorations, uh, there, there was one story specifically that came, that came to mind. He, all of a sudden, his lucid dream, woke up in his elementary school, and he's already like a, an adult. And he's like, oh, okay, this is a lucid dream again. He walks down the hallway of his elementary school, and he goes to this classroom that he used, that he used to be in as, as a kid. And because he's very experienced and he knows what's, what he can do, he thinks to himself, okay, when I open up my old classroom door, inside are going to be 14 naked, super attractive women. All right, and that's, just, that's, just, that's his intention. He opens the door and he walks in and sure enough, there are 14 naked, attractive women. This time, however, he, something caught him off guard. <clears throat> there were 14 naked women but they were all different races and heights, and they were standing in a U formation. Details that he realized he didn't consciously think of, they just were. And then he stopped and he was like, wait a minute. Something else is filling in these details that I miss out on. There's something else projecting this additional detail that I'm not handling. And then when he makes that realization, he calls out, he realized that there's a quote unquote stage builder. There's some part of his mind that's building the scenery and the details that he's not consciously orchestrating. So once he, once he reaches that epiphany and he calls out, something calls back. <laughs> and this thing that calls back, it, it calls from the void. And he's not really able to specifically identify it other than it's, he calls in the book his subconscious self. But um, further, further on in the book, as he gets more and more curious and interacts with this invisible stage builder. Um, he realizes that this thing is, uh, it's, uh, man, it's been many years since I read the book, but it's this higher version of himself, some like future extra dimensional version or something it, that's, assist, that's assisting with the projection. You know, going to the idea of the mandala, it could be the entity, the consciousness that drew the mandala in the first place. We're not really sure, but knowing that something like that exists, it obviously profoundly changed how he perceived the rest of his life. And towards the, and towards the end of the book, he was pretty confident that physical reality in itself is just a dream as well, which honestly fits, I think, pretty succinctly into the idea of reality being um, a simulation. You know, and it's and that that idea and that belief is starting to gain more and more mainstream attraction. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Joe Rogan and his podcast. He'll have these really bright intellectuals come on. Um, I'm trying to remember. I'll I'll have to figure out which podcast it was. It was recent, it was just a couple of months ago. He had um he had one gentleman on who was like this PhD in uh, anthropology and statistics and stuff, and he basically said like mathematically there's a higher degree of chance that this is a simulation more than it's not. You know, there are a lot of quantum physicists out there. There are a lot of like really brilliant minds who are just like, you know what? Reality is so trippy that it, it honestly makes sense that it's more of a simulation. Um, yeah, so that, that thought is starting to pick up. I, 
you know, we can maybe box it into our modern terms of, of bits and of data. Yeah, that's definitely one way to look at it. Um, or just more simply put, the, the Tibetan yogis had it right all along. This is just, this is just dream. This is just all a dream. This is um, a very, this is a hyper simulation. So yeah. Um, so that's the case then in the dream state, you're able to, you're able to adjust the, the laws of physics. You're able to adjust the laws that we, in our waking state, abide by gravity, right? Yes. Seem yeah. to work consistently, like every time. Every time. Um, but, you know, in water, gravity has a very different impact. Shift the medium, shift the reality. Mm. Yeah. So in the lucid dream, you can do whatever you want, including turn off gravity. But in the waking dream, we have these objective rules, like gravity, like life and death. There are, oh, we have a, yeah, we have a, we have a Grayson connecting. No way. <gasps> no way. Backdrop. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> we actually heard you just get beamed in. Dude, nice backdrop. How'd you pull that off? You got a green screen behind you, don't you? Notice, it, give, give the little shake, buddy. <laughs> so, um, nice. Tyler doesn't have a green screen, but his computer's yeah. strong enough to pull it off. There's well, it didn't, zoom. it didn't used to be, but watch this, man. We're here, and then we can be on Gold Gate. <laughs> Dude, that, how do you ask for a like that? That's amazing. <laughs> lights, what up? Man. Hey, Jama, we're chilling on the beach. Yeah, this is going to be brief, man, because I got I to gotta go to bed here in a minute, but I wanted to jump on and say hey, and I hope you guys are doing good. Congrats on the date, dude. Yeah. Oh, thank, you. thank you, thank you, thank you. Great, Joe's <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, Grayson, we are 30-ish uh, minutes in, and we've gone basically into dreams. And so Lee just broke down uh, dream journaling, right? Um, why we would remember dreams, um, you know, the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex and their relationship. Uh, mm. 51st days as a metaphor of RAM for short-term memory and hard drive, right? For long-term memory, stored memory. Yeah. Uh, dreams are a great way to learn about yourself. Uh, there's consistent themes. There's a dream mandala that we tap into consistently. Mm. And so we get little glimpses of this dream mandala um we all have a unique mandala just like our unique signature frequency of the soul it's another representation it sounds like um bashar he just smiled and said okay we're gonna put a note there for bashar um humans being a genetic experiment um of some <laughs> other life form right oh yeah uh, stephen laberge uh, prove the lucid dreaming. Uh, the lucid dreaming book by Robert Wagner is the gateway to the inner self. That one's a powerful one. Uh, Tibetan yoga, they're mastering personal awareness to be able to bridge uh, the awake with the dream state. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, lucid dreams, fully conscious, but some of the most intense experiences you could possibly imagine. Probably yeah. a few clicks up from traditional reality waking state. Um, magical dimension where anything's possible. About 5% of people naturally do this. Uh, it's a hyper simulation where you can fly, you can feel everything. 
Um, and then a little bit of a story right here into uh, the elementary school where, you know, Mr. Wagner went into a lucid dream and, and then called out when he realized that he didn't consciously design everything. He called out to like, wait, who's designing this? And then something responded back. In his lucid dream, yeah. So quick, quick question for you, Grayson, and on the topic of dreaming, uh, do you often remember your dreams? No, but when I do, it's like Mitch Hedgebrick says, it's like I got to build a go-kart with my ex-landlord. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of cool. Everyone, uh, Mitch Hedberg, rest in peace. It's like, uh, like one time out of a thousand, it's exactly what I want, but most of the time I don't remember it or uh, I, uh, yeah, it's just a randomness. You know, a lot of times it's me like we got to get prepared. The things are coming, like the running and stuff. I've I researched that a little bit, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Have but, you ever uh, experienced a lucid dream before? Yes, it's it's been a long time, but yes. All yeah. right, Grayson and Tyler, I'm gonna throw this out there. Lucid okay. dreaming is something that can be learned. Yeah. Like there, you can create these habits to trigger lucid dreams a lot more often. A part of these are from St um, Stephen LaBerge, the, the PhD from Stanford, who have collected data to show there are very effective techniques. I think it'd be super fun if we all started a practice together to try to do lucid dreaming and then talk about it. If oh, you were, to, if you were to, <laughs> to vote, like honestly, it's, it's easier than you think. So, okay. I'm, I'm just gonna, since time might be limited for you, Grayson, here's one, here, here's the most effective technique to have a lucid dream if you haven't had one before. It's very yeah. effective. Um, it's called the wild technique. And I'm gonna pull it up real quick because I'm gonna butcher the definition. The wild. You see the wild or the mild? Wait, nope, nope, not wild, it's mild. It's, mild is an acronym, so is, so is mild lucid dreaming, okay. And I'm going to share my screen again. Here it is. Yeah. Okay. Mnemonic induction of lucid dreams. Okay. All right. So this concept, um, dream recall, rally checks. Okay. You know what? No, that's actually a different technique. I actually know this technique from memory. So <laughs> I'm just going to talk about it. All right. Um, when you have a dream, so there, there's these five common stages of the sleep cycle. Stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, and then REM, rapid eye movement. Rapid eye movement is obviously where you're having the so-called dream. It's when your, your eyes are moving, your amygdala is engaged, part of your prefrontal cortex where your, your critical thinking is engaged and you're having a dream. And then after you have that, you go back to stage one. Um, as these stages progress from stage one, two, three, and four, your sleep cycle, the, the hertz, the frequency in your brain, the hertz yeah. uh, cycles per second does slow down, right? You go, from, you go from beta, which is like anywhere from like 10 to 55 cycles per second, so your critical thinking, down to alpha, down to theta, I think, and then I, I don't remember the exact one, but it gets, it gets pretty, pretty slow. And yeah. When you slip into REM, you're back into the critical thinking stage. So uh, there, there's a technique that you can do to where you can have yourself wake up when you reach REM stage. Now what, now what scientists have been able to collect over time is that these REM cycles, it cycles through. So you go through one, two, three, four, five REM, one, two, three, four, five REM. Each time it hits REM throughout the night, it increases in duration. So your first REM early on in the night might be just like five to 15 minutes. 
but by your, by the time you reach your third or fourth REM, it can extend anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half. Whoa. So the whole idea is human, the human mind naturally wants to sleep anywhere between six to nine hours a night to get a full night's rest. Yeah. So the idea is around 75% of your normal sleep cycle, you will actually make a choice to wake up through an alarm or something. You'll wake up and you'll stay awake for 30 minutes with the intention to have a lucid dream and then simply go back to sleep with that intention. Um, and you can do, you can do stuff like self-hypnosis, which is a very, very easy way where you can either like for 30 minutes, like meditate and think to yourself, I am awake in my dream. I'm awake in my dream. Or you can write like writing is an effective tool, like on, on a notebook, just write lines over and over again. I'm awake in my dream. I wake in my dream. You can watch a video on lucid dreaming. You can have a little bit of tea, a little bit of caffeine, something, but that, that's a very conscious 30 minutes that you spend on intentionally being awake in your dream. Then you go yeah. back to sleep. Then you go back to sleep and yeah, you can find yourself waking up. I, I've tried it. it. It is in fact the most effective technique. And if you don't mind kind of screwing with your sleep cycle a little bit, it's an yeah. easy one to invest in. Um, so I'll yeah. Try it on weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you can do it on the weekend for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, set, if, if, you, if you like getting eight hours of sleep, wake up after six hours. And uh, what, another, another way that really helps is going to sleep for that last 25%, maybe somewhere different, like on the couch or right next to your bed, something that tells your body things are not quite right. And that'll also help trigger that lucid dream. And then once you're in the lucid dream, oh my gosh. Oh, it's like I was telling Tyler, it's, uh, yeah, it's life-changing. It's exhilarating. So that would be a fun group activity that I think the three of us could maybe do as a group. How now. quickly can we ignite? Um, it, it takes, for, the, for my first time, I was able to trigger it in a week. But it really is, a, your miles might vary. Um, Stephen LeBurge and his research team, they found that you're guaranteed, like if, you're, if you do it every single day religiously, you're guaranteed at least one in a month if you're like really struggling. But it's just, it's about consistency and rep repetition. Um, you know, kind of kind of going back to the tibetan yogis the, the tibetan yogis so you know like it says that we're you know, psychologists will say that we're like 95 percent on autopilot right we're right. we're an accumulation of, of habits and thought patterns well you just kind of want to add a new habit of what's called reality checking so both the tibetan yogis and modern day lucid dreamers because they, they doubt this technique is so effective is one habit to set is every hour you can set a timer on your phone this is what i used to do a couple of years ago you should just set a timer every hour that just says am i dreaming right now and you mm -hmm. ask yourself seriously like is this a dream is this a dream and then you do a, you do a reality test such as like pinching yourself holding your breath uh sticking your fingers to your hand jumping Jumping was the one that I would do. Or flicking the light switch on or off. You do these little silly tests, right? Because in, in, in the dream reality, these type of tests, they fail. You can actually like look at your hands and they'll like stretch and warp. You can push your hand through your hand. You can jump and you fall down slowly. That honestly was a big trigger of mine. I'd be like, I'd jump up and I was like, okay, gravity's not right. It is a lucid dream. I pop into it. <laughs> so what was the movie? Wasn't it uh, Inception? That, that was a movie that talks about lucid dreaming, yeah. And they go multiple layers deep, and that was one of the things, right? You always kept the totem, so the, uh, somebody kept Reality check. 
Yes. Yeah. Check. So, okay. I mean, what is it that's so exciting about this for you? Like, obviously we've heard a whole lot, but like break it down from somebody that hasn't experienced this to why okay. somebody would want to. Yeah. So one major thing is the experience itself will make you feel more alive than anything. I'm obviously just speaking from my own personal experience, but after you experience a very vivid lucid dream and you wake up from that, it's, it's one of the most exhilarating experiences on life. Like more than a roller coaster, more than a crazy drug experience, lucid dreams are just like, holy shit. Like it's just that vivid, that visceral. It, just, it changes your life. Um, your ability to do stuff in lucid dreams it's it's very fun like you you can do like you can fly you can you know screw a celebrity you can do all these like generic stuff or um the last lucid dream that i had that was very very powerful um i have the intention of talking to my spirit guys and sure enough uh i encountered something that was really bizarre and it stuck with me it stuck with me very very succinctly. So you can have, you know, earlier in this episode, I talked about how dreams are a good way of learning about yourself. Lucid dreams specifically are an amazing way of learning about yourself because you can talk to, you can summon an individual in your dream and you can ask it a question. And the answers are typically fairly profound. It's a way to talk to your subconscious. It's a way to talk to you on the inside. Um, other, other folks, um, so there's this, awesome electro artist Aphex Twin. Apex, yeah, Aphex Twin. Um, he's like a savant level genius when it comes to music production. Uh, he doesn't produce, his last music came out a while ago, but very, very avant-garde, like really interesting new type of music. He would get inspiration from his lucid dreams. He, like, he would compose the music in his dreams and come back and then produce in real life. Uh, there are many uh, amazing scientists and artists who actually would get their inspiration or conceive something, a new concept, a new art piece through their, their lucid dream state. Um, you can also, this has also been proven too, that if you are pretty um, skilled at lucid dreaming, you can over time um, work on skills. You can practice stuff. There was one story I was reading about a violinist who could lucid dream regularly and she would practice really complex pieces in her lucid dream. In her lucid dream, she would, she would go over the piece and she would play it perfectly, even in front of a made-up audience. And she would attest that to accelerating her ability to master complex pieces. So there's many different ways that dreaming can help. Uh, they did this really interesting study on dreaming where they, they, they factored in how dreaming helps you improve in your day-to-day -day life. This is a very interesting study. They had these people... Um, they had these people living, living together on this compound where all they would do during their waking life is play this skiing video game. And it was a full body skiing video game. And it was a, it was a complex one too. So like, you, you know, they have, had like a, a screen with these, you know, uh, mechanical skis that you can kind of like go down the mountain on. And it, was, and it was difficult. And so anybody at first that would try the skiing game would just suck. What they would do though, is they would measure how quickly you got good at the game each day. Their, 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 their theory was, was that dreaming assists in the retention and development of new skills and improving on whatever you're dealing with. They had, one, um, they had one section of the group where they would just let them sleep naturally. They would let them sleep in, sleep, have their full sleep. And they would have this other test group where they would have these electrodes hooked up to their brain. And anytime they were close to REM sleep, they would wake them up. 
So they would have partial sleep. They would never let them have REM sleep. And the group that didn't have REM sleep suffered greatly in their performance over time. And the group that was allowed to sleep improved the skiing game way faster than the group that didn't. That didn't. So there's some aspect of dreaming that allows you to improve your skills and just improve whatever you're working on. Imagine being able to practice lucidly. So there, you know, there's, there's skill improvement, there's, there's self-discovery, and there's just the exhilaration part of it. You know, like millennials, for instance, there's this cliche about millennials about how we love to collect experiences. Like we'll spend whatever money on experience. Well, lucid dreaming in my personal life has been the most profound and exhilarating experience I've ever had. And it's fucking free. You know, you spend anything on it. You just got to spend the time and the energy on it. And holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. So where are the distinctions between lucid and just dreams? Like what if you're really good at REM, but you don't have conscious awareness? You're not lucid through that. What is the correlation um, between the skill development and, you know, the imagination and the creativity and, and how it shows up on a daily basis versus now getting into this lucid state. Mm. Okay. So when it comes to just non-lucid dreaming versus lucid dreaming, non-lucid dreaming, you wake up and it's like watching a movie. You just like, you watched a movie of something. There are things that are happening that you don't really have, at least from one point of reference, you don't feel like you have any control over it. It was just like, you were just simply an observer. In some cases, you are in the dream, but you are doing actions that you don't normally would do in, in conscious life. I've had plenty of dreams where I say or behave in a way that I wouldn't do in normal life. I'm just like, huh, okay, like that, that's interesting. So there's this, there's this, there's a separation between your conscious awareness and what you remember, right? So it's this memory of just like, okay, I observed it. Whereas a lucid dream, you have perfect retention of what happened and why it happened because you made every choice. Like it was completely free will driven. Uh, as to your earlier question about where it is, like how does the improvement come about? That's a question that's still being researched. I, there really isn't an answer as to why. It's just, right. we still don't even know why we dream. Like we still don't understand. The idea of dreaming is just as vague and mysterious as the idea of death, where we just, we just don't have answers. There's just not enough data on it. You know, wow. Stephen LeBurge discovered lucid dreaming in the late 80s. And even then, it hasn't been intensively researched from that point forward. There's, there's not enough people are interested in it and doing enough studies in it. Um, but this, but I, I'll, there's some extra tidbits I wanted to jump, to jump into that um, it, this gets a bit more into the fringe, but there's, there's data out there. Um, it's more anecdotal. It's a lot more anecdotal data. It's, it's, it, it lies in the, in the arena of phenomena. Phenomenon meaning there's not enough data to prove that this is real, but there's not enough data to discredit this completely either. So that, you know, so this mm -hmm. is the phenomena realm. One thing about dreaming, and this is actually a quote unquote superpower I have, is, uh, <laughs> it's going uh, to sound silly, but I'm slightly prophetic. Yes. It's weird. It, it's very, it's not, not so much now because I haven't been really studying my dreams lately, but Tyler, I've had a number of my dreams come true. A number of my dreams where I've had it and then weeks, days, months, even years later, I experienced deja vu or, oh mm -hmm. shit, I saw this before. I saw this before already in my dream. Um, the most profound 
instance of that in my life is three months before I lost my virginity, I dreamt in detail how it happened before I even knew what it felt like having my penis in a vagine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and the story of how I lost my virginity is very unique and rare. So that's why in the dream, I was like, this is really bizarre. And then when it actually happened, I was like, oh, fuck. How is that possible? How does one see into the future? I don't, I don't, um, I don't prescribe to the whole mystical idea of it. I, I think the brain is able to tap into some different dimensional state. I, I think the brain is a, is a crazy quantum processor. Sometimes when you're dreaming, this is my own thoughts and opinions. When you're dreaming, you might just be running through different possible future simulations. Remember that, remember that cone that we talked yep. about? How, you know, the further you go out into the future, the greater, the greater variables of what probabilities you might experience. I think the brain and the subconscious mind on some level is crunching the numbers and saying, okay, this action at this point in the cone will predominantly lead to these actions. So maybe if you're paying attention or you're, you're able to catch it, sometimes you can catch on a scenario that is going to happen. Now that, that, that brings ex the next question of like, is it the chicken or the egg? Because you saw that dream, does that increase, are you just, are you just creating a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? There's that aspect or are you, um, I, don't, I don't know, Tyler, there's been some times where last week I experienced so much intense deja vu. Moments where I'm just like, okay, I, I had a dream about this. I, I, and the circumstances of how I got to that point, I don't believe there's any way it could have been a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like how I remember these dreams and how I had those experiences, there's just no comprehensible way, math, like mathematically or probability-wise, I could have had these experiences, that deja vu, having these dreams years in advance. That, so that, that, to me, adds more, more credence to the idea of having some invisible stage builder. There's some, there's some other part of our awareness that's handling this, this insane amount of data, that's orchestrating these events and these memories and these situations. And yeah, through dreaming, I've been able to sort of tap into that. One thing about dreaming that has always been the case for me, and I have, I have had a perfect track record. The one time my superpower kicks in is when I'm dating someone new. Yes, every time I date someone new, within a couple of days, I'll have a very vivid dream that tells me exactly how it's gonna end. Whoa. Yeah, that's the only, in my, in my entire life, that's the only time where it actually kicks in. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Super weird. I'll have this really intense dream um, that shows me whether it works out or not and why. In the, in the in interesting symbology. So there's that yeah. idea. Um, researching into other people's dreams. There, there was one really profound story. And this is a common story, actually, that other people, not maybe, maybe not super common, but there's a lot of stories like this. Once again, this is more anecdotal data, but there's one story that really stuck with me. It was about this young girl who um, had lost her grandmother. You know, she grandmother passed away and she was very, very, very close to her grandmother. Her grandmother would Mother come to- by the way. I've been listening uh, the whole time. It's wonderful. Oh, what'd you say, Grayson? I'm sorry. I actually have to go to bed, but um, okay. I've been listening to everything. I want this to continue, but I just, I got to get to bed. So, because I got to get up for sooner, sure. Practice, but. right? You're going to set an alarm every hour and say, Am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? What are you going to focus That's on? Not work, but maybe on the weekend. 
Yeah, with but your 10-hour schedule, I, Grayson, that'd be intense. I want to have more time to talk about this. I'm just crushed for time right now. Yeah, let's do a part two Tuesday if, if you're uh, feeling up for it. Perfect. 100%. Sounds great. All right. Thanks Sleep for hopping well, out, my friend. See Sleep you guys. Well. Yeah, good night. Dream well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's cool. That's a cool outro chime. Yeah. Um, yeah, so to continue on the story, um, this this girl, like I said, very close to her grandma, would come to all of her ballet recitals and they just had this wonderful relationship. Well, when she became an adult, you know, her grandma passed away, lots of grieving, she's very attached. A couple, some time had passed and it's, it's been a while since I've read the story. I don't know if it was a couple of weeks or a couple of months, some time had passed after her passing and she had this very vivid dream, very, very vivid dream that she was with her grandma again. It's very common for people to have very vivid dreams about loved ones that have passed away. However, what was interesting about this one is that this grandmother figure said, I need you to do something for me. She was asking a favor of her granddaughter because of their closeness. She, went, she teleported her in their dream to her place of residence and, he sh and she said, look into my top dresser drawer. Hidden behind the clothes in the corner is this family brooch. I took it from my sister. I need you to give it back to her. And she's like, what? And then she woke up. This like beautiful, rare antique brooch, right? Is that the right way to say brooch? Brooch? The right brooch. brooch. Okay. Tomato. 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 Yeah, tomato. <laughs> brooch. This like, this like um, antique brooch that, uh, yeah, in the dream, the grandma explained that it actually belonged to her sister, but out of like envy, she basically took it and kept it. It was like a family heirloom. Um, but I guess the guilt was killing her or something. So she woke up and she's like, WTF? And it was this, you know, a, a brooch that her grandma never really spoke of and she never saw, but it stuck with her and it kind of haunted her. And she decided out of curiosity to take action. She went to her grandma's place of residence. I, uh, it was still, I guess it was being managed by someone else in the family. Someone else in the family was, you know, was kind of had it, but she went to the dresser drawer where her grandma had described you know, her, her, her oh, grandma's yeah. stuff was still there. And lo and behold, there was the brooch from the dream. Something she'd never seen before or heard about, but her grandma told her about it. And she handed it to um, her, her grandma's sister, I guess her great aunt. And yeah, her great aunt lost her shit, broke down in tears. And I'm just like, I thought this was lost forever. Like, mm -hmm. what the fuck? And, that's, and there are stories like that where people inherit these messages in their dreams from, from deceased ones that actually apply to waking life. So these examples I give, these stories I tell, this is once again to the listener, this gets into the weird woo-woo space where it's all anecdotal. But once again, there's so many stories like this that it just, it, it, it needs more research. I wish more people research to take this seriously because yeah, we don't fully understand. We can't scientifically prove what's happening, but we have instances like that where people can take dream data and it's accurate in the waking world, and, it, and this happens multiple times. Well, what the hell? Like, what does that say about the nature of dreaming and of life and death? So, yeah, I, 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 just, I just ask that the listeners open up their minds, stay curious, do some research on this. This blow open your world. Lucid dreaming, talking to deceased relatives, a lot of bizarre stuff. Um, Stephen LeBurge, uh, he started this group and this group has grown into like an, in, there's a huge international organization 
um, that studies lucid dreaming as a whole. And let's see, I don't, it's, it's been years since I looked them up. You can look up, you can look up like lucid dreaming collective or something, but um, there's this huge group of people that are part of this collective. I think there's a website where you can like create a membership and join a forum where they will do large scale lucid dreaming experiments. And one, one of the big holy grails of lucid dreaming is conjoined lucid dreaming, meaning you experience a lucid dream and you meet somebody else who's alive in that dream and interact. That has been fascinating. There's been a lot of fascinating stories where, um, this, huh? Have you experienced that? I have not personally. What about in, uh, some of the psychedelic journeys? Um, there's yeah. a lot of shared experiences. There's a lot of things that people zoom out and it's like, okay, hold on. <laughs> they start to describe even further. And sometimes two, three, four, five people out of just like 10, 20, 25 people. Well, I've had shared experiences. Oh yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Where's the, where's the gap? Where's the merge? Where's the hybridization? Like what is yeah. the Could it be that, you know, psychedelics are just a catalyst for us to get into essentially that same place. And so yes. dreaming and just being uh, a very uh, accessible uh, mechanism and vehicle Mm. for us mm. to speak to our inner being or that larger consciousness, that God force, that, that life force, whatever it is, whether that's a specific, you know, lead two, right. Your super soul or, <laughs> or lead three, um, or, you know, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really glad you brought that up. And, um, what, what we can see on the physical plane is although the studies, the studies are not conclusive completely for humans, uh, this is brought up a lot in, in this in this realm of discussion that dimethyltryptamine, the molecule that it, it's a it's a neurotransmitter that your brain produces, is responsible for dreaming in general. It's theorized that when you go into REM sleep, your pineal gland that produces different types of neurotransmitters, including serotonin, also releases dimethyltryptamine. It's said that dimethyltryptamine is released when either A, you're born. B, you're dying, and C, when you're having a lucid dream. You take a look at the molecular structure of dimethyltryptamine, and for the most part, scientists consider it the most powerful hallucinogen known to mankind. You can synthesize it and smoke it and be launched into another dimension. Ayahuasca is pretty much liquid dimethyltryptamine. Um, mescaline, which is the molecule in San Pedro and uh, peyote, that is a substrate, not a substrate, that's not the right term. It's, it's very similar in composition to dimethyltryptamine. It's part of the, there's a, there's a tryptamine family. A lot of the plant-based psychedelics are part of what's called a tryptamine family. Tryptamine as in the molecular structure. So if I type in, um, I'll go ahead and share my screen here and look up an image. Okay. This has been the bridge I've been most curious about is. Yeah. You know, you've been describing totally. lucid dreams in my, closest experiment or experience has been you know via psychedelics i'm gonna type in tryptamine family that's usually a term okay five meo dmt yeah so check this out psychedelia um I, I don't know how big i can blow this up let's see if i can yeah all right so this is the tryptamine family you'll see some things that are familiar so Mescaline. This is what comes from the peyote and San Pedro cactus. There is 
uh, 5-MeO-DMT, which comes from the buffo toad. You can click that and smoke it, and it's really powerful. Silicin, which is the composite in magic mushrooms that makes you trip out. They all have this structure right here. This is the tryptamine structure. Um, there's, there's, a chain, there's a chain of five molecules here and then six. Always these, um, there's always this uh, hexagonal structure in all of this, but there's, there's, and there's different variants. There's 2CB, there's 2CE, 2CE, I've actually tried twice on accident. There were two different instances <laughs> where my friend's like, yeah, this is acid. Because I've never tried acid. I've never, like, like I told you in a previous uh, episode, I've never done, I've actually never done acid. And um, I had experiences that were far removed from acid, at least from based off of what my friends had told me experienced what they had and like reading on like airwood.org what experiences are. This is insane. This is, this, is, this is insanity. I would never do it again. It's absolutely terrifying, but it's powerful. It puts you into a different dimension. Um, so yeah, MDMA. Hold on, hold on, give us a little bit more context there. Okay, so you yourself, you've experienced mushrooms. Mm -hmm. You've experienced ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. And with these plant-based, okay, the 2CE, 2CB, 2C, 2CB, 2CB fly, these are actually synthetic variants. These are actually made in labs. They're not naturally occurring. The mm -hmm. ones that are naturally mm -hmm. occurring, um, they're, they're a very similar effect. So I, I've done mescaline, I've done psilocin, and I've obviously done DMT through ayahuasca. They all have these type of like wavy, dreamlike breathing structures, right? There's this waviness and this, uh, it's, it's hard to explain. There's this element of being in moving water. Um, that kind of alters reality. 2CE is very crisp and clean. You don't experience any of that. 2CE, the best way I could describe it, Tyler, is like being blasted right. It, it's like your waking life becomes a lucid dream, straight up. Like when I was on 2CE the last time, I walked out into my front yard during daylight and I could perfectly control with my mind how the clouds moved in the sky. I would open up my laptop and I would watch a video I've seen before on YouTube and the entire video that I'd seen many times on YouTube, it, very clearly, like not waviness or blurriness or like the, 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 the water effect that you experience other times, it would be very crisp. I would see this video play out in a completely different way. Like the people in the video would be talking to me. Like Lee, you're just tripping out. I pulled out my friend's like uh, middle school yearbook, my friend's middle school yearbook, and I opened it to a random page and the text is just like, Lee, calm down. You're just tripping the fuck out. Like the text. I was like, okay. I, I, it, the best way I could explain it is like, it's, it's an experience of um, psychosis, schizophrenia. It's like, what reality would be like if you were schizophrenic? Where Whoa. nothing, yeah. Um, have you ever, do you watch, do you watch The Green Hornet with Seth Rogen? Uh, no. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure you've heard of it. I walked out when I was having a really bad time. I was like, okay, I think I'm losing my shit. I walked out of the room and that movie was playing and the movie was talking to me. Like it, yeah, it was, it was, I thought I had died and gone to hell. This is what it felt like. A minute felt like an hour. I couldn't feel my heartbeat. It was very bizarre. So yeah. So, now to bridge that though, um, with, with DMT. Yes. Right. Just raw DMT that you smoke. Um, mm -hmm. Only I had one experience thus far, but in that experience, um, it felt much more mechanical. Much more mechanical. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So blast it off mm. on a rocket ship, right? Like we're, we're here in outer space. 
See, look at the hand disappears. Somehow it's connected. <laughs> but uh, it was, there was a lot of, uh, there were shapes like this. It was very geometric, right? Mm. Versus Aya has had a tendency to be much more watery and fluid and, and multi-dimensional. Like it's harder to, um, to put into language, but that's, that's a distinction I think you can understand very well. And hopefully the listener can understand is that, you know, when you're in uh, something like a, a water medium, there's a rippling effect and there's a momentum, yeah. there's motion versus like a digital, very mechanical uh, environment. Yes. That's a good way to describe it. That's how I would describe this. It was very, very crisp and very almost cert like um, uh, surgical. No, that's not, right. that's not right. Not the right term. Very um, Pre prescriptive, maybe. It's crisp. It feels digital. It feels very devoid. Um, the best way I can kind of describe it for those that for those experienced psychonauts out there that have done plant-based uh, tryptamines. There's this element, and the reason why I was drawn to psilocybin and ayahuasca in the first place, there's this element where you can sort of sense on some weird level that you're not alone. Like you can sense the spirit of the plant or whatever. There's, some, there's someone there kind of holding your hand in an invisible way. With this, you are just pushed into the dimension. You are all by your conscience mind self. Mm. You're, you're in the driver's seat. So that's the best way I can describe 2CE. Um, I have experienced MDA and MDMA. Um, yeah. And how this all ties to dreaming? Well, this, this all is based on if, if, in fact, your brain does release DMT when you sleep at night and you have a dream state, it's, it's the connection to that reality. So if we take the concept of, okay, let's, 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 just, let's just say in, in, in this reality, for, we know for a fact that when you dream, you're experiencing DMT. Something that you can synthetically create and smoke when you're awake. You go into this strange reality uh, where, yeah, bizarre things happen. Um, if, you, if you are smoking artificial DMT, a lot of people talk about meeting entities, um, weird conscious beings, things that you can also create and interact in, an, in a natural lucid dream. Tying that to the story of people having dreams, experiencing communication with deceased loved ones, or experiencing things in a lucid dream that, that you can then discover happens in your waking life. Experience something in a dream that ends up becoming true later on in your life, whether it's days, weeks, months, or even years. How does this all freaking tie together? Well, I like to think that, once again, we're in the simulation. And I think to some degree, how I'm elected a molecule is formed and how our, how our biological body interacts with these molecules is like keys within data that interact with each other. Like these unlock certain aspects of the program or these change the program. Anything that you consume changes your program to some degree. If you eat a lot of junk food and garbage, you experience the program of feeling like shit. You feel like a garbage can. Mm -hmm. If you eat something that's filled with like caffeine you're going to experience your, your your experience of reality is going to change you're going to feel a lot more awake and hyperactive you know you drink there's many different substances that, that affect your conscience that affect the way that your program is ran these molecules though they just they drastically change the program of your experience and how so this tie it's hmm. almost like a, a skeleton key right like a skeleton key the theory is that it can go into any lock right so it's obviously a mythical key yeah to a large degree, um, if, 
if we are connected to, I mean, in my opinion, to think that we can only have five senses, right, that are measurable, see, hear, taste, touch, smell, feel, right? Mm -hmm. That is so restrictive. I mean, just to think what animals can sense, like what we understand of visible light spectrum relative to actual spectrum, right? The waves, we can only hear 20 hertz to 20,000 kilohertz, right? Like there's there's so much uh, that, that we have within our, our traditional sensory model. And so could it be that, uh, you know, DMT just as an archetype, right, as something that exists within the body um, is a skeleton key for access to more sensory data than we typically allow in? I really like your line of thought and would agree personally. Personally, that's, that's my thought and belief on, on, on the nature of that. Um, you know, there's, in the, in the Seth series, you will at some point read about Seth describing how there's more than five senses. There's more than even six senses. There is a great number of senses uh, on, on different levels that we're not aware of. Also alluding to, the, to what you're talking about, about um, there, there's lots of wavelengths of data that we're not aware of, whether it's on the visual or audio spectrum and, and so forth. You know, even going back to and this is once again, anecdotal data, uh, how if multiple people, especially those that you're close with, are on the same type of substance, like psychedelic substance, whether it's a lot of people are doing mushrooms or LSD together, you had made mention about how there are these thoughts or feelings that are objectively shared, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember one of the first times I did mushrooms with a group of friends, uh, we were all just, you know, experiencing the magic of it. And then all of us at once were just like, oh shoot, my friend so-and-so, is gone and I think he needs our help. All mm-hmm. of us together, like there's like the simultaneous thought of like, wait a minute, we all need to find so-and-so who, who had been gone for a while. Sure Just enough, like this- Huh? Like fish in a school or birds that are flying. Mm. They we're, all, we're all of a sudden connected, yeah. We found him in a room, like under a blanket, having a bad trip. And we could sense him from a distance, his, his emotion, like his emotional sense. Um, there's this idea about, uh, telepathic, telepathy. So telepathy is being able to read other people's minds. Um, I actually think we're more capable of being tele-empathetic, telepathy. Mm. Not so much reading on people's thoughts, but reading what they're feeling. Feelings are a vibe, right? Feelings, you know, we, we, I may have mentioned earlier about how there's the heart code, a book written by, don't remember his name, you can just Google the heart code. This doctor who in his research states that every time your heart beats, it releases an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse, a biologically created electromagnetic pulse. And this carries with it a message. It's the same electromagnetic field that biological life is connected to. The fish and the birds, how they have this internal compass, you know, they're able to like tap into this field, this bioelectric field that gives them the ability to navigate and sense things around them. Human beings have that too. But with the complexity of human life, we also have the emotional element too. Some people are very intuitive. Like anyone can relate to this. You walk into a party or a public event, a club, and you're there, you're walking around and and someone else walks in after you and you can feel the vibe of that person. You can feel if that person's going to be cool, warm, uh, threatening. Like sometimes if you're in a house party and a new person walks in, People can sort of like all of a sudden feel this like weird shift in their gut. Like, oh, this guy means trouble. Like he comes with a certain 
energy. He comes in with a certain intention that you can't describe, but it's palpable. It's because you're tapping into that invisible sense. It's one of your extra senses beyond the five. And for those that are a bit more sensitive than others, they can get really accurate with like how a person's feeling. So you hear the word empath being thrown around a lot. Yeah, it's just somebody who's just practiced either intentionally or naturally have the ability to really tune into how people are feeling without even a single word being exchanged. Mm. So it's something human beings are very capable of doing. I love that, man. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So dreaming, don't fully understand it, but it's incredible. We talked about how you can jump through space and time with it. We talked about how you can communicate with deceased members with it. We talked about how we can extrapolate data. We can increase our skills. It's, yeah, I, uh, it's, it's a fascinating subject. So for all of our listeners out there, look into lucid dreaming. Look into dreaming as a whole. Research what a dream journal is and why it might be important. And you, I think in time, you'll start to discover something magical. For those that are bored and want some magic in their life, look into dreaming. It's such an easy thing. It's, yeah, out of, out of all the material we might speak about, dreaming is the easiest level one introductory topic that you can research in depth to, to, to start opening up your eyes to what the hell life is about or the magic of what it could be. Oh, love that. So, you know, even just after having this conversation, I thought about how many times that I've had uh, that feeling of deja vu, but not necessarily clarity. Like it just, there's a sense of familiarity. Like mm. I feel like I've been here before or this was going to happen. Um, and I believe that all of us have those experiences, the more that we self-reference. More oh, yeah. that we actually dive in. And so to have a process here uh, and a, a plan and a map to, to be able to see more and more and more and, and not just draw those bridges, but to actually build bridges, right? To, to create, to be in the driver's seat of our reality on a daily basis. Like I could not agree more. I believe that we are a product of what we believe and so our perception is reality. After all, I am at the center of the universe because this is the center of all the senses that experience the universe, right? And so lucid dreams, uh, the concept around DMT, maybe being a skeleton key that can give us access to more sensory experience. As you hold like, your finger up, a black object appeared diagonally. Put your finger a little bit closer to the camera. It was weird. It looked like this black invisible key shape appeared in your finger. It's not happening again, but it happened the first time. You'll see it in the recording. The very first time you hold your hand up, there's like this black shadow object. You already have the key in hand, Tyler. Already have the key in hand. Oh my goodness. Thanks for the demonstrating key. that. You are most welcome, brother. The key <laughs> to life in lucid dreaming. How's that for a title? Oh yeah. And we can use a, an actual key. Key to life and lucid dreaming. Oh my goodness. So yeah. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my process and I'll see, you know, I, I know it's all law of attraction, right? So the more that I put out, the more that I focus on, I want to recall, I want to capture, I want to understand, I want to drive. Let me in yeah. this dream, let me in this simulation. Let's experience what it's like. Let's go for it. 
So if you want something a bit more, um, a bit more tangible, something that you can follow along, there's, there's, already a, a sh there's already a plethora of really good resources out there. But since you're already into the set series, I implore you, after you finish the current book, which I know is fairly meaty and thick, check out this. Dreams and projection of consciousness. <laughs> Since you're already That's familiar with this. Three? No, this is a lot further down the line, actually. How um, many death books are there? Oh, man, there's a lot. Uh, there's like over 20. No, no. There's, there's, more than, there's more than 15. <sighs> there might be more than 20. No, actually, it's, a, it's around 20. Ah, I feel bad. It's been almost a decade since I've read through these books. I need to, I need to read them again. But um, yeah, this is, this is further down the line. However, since you're already familiar with his cadence, um, he does give some... Hold it, hold it up real quick. Yeah. There we go. And then let's get one with you actually smiling in it. Hold it to the side. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, the first okay. book of Seth I ever got. And... There's a, I, like, it's, it's been 10 years since I read this, but, oh, dreams and the importance of dream recall. He, he'll actually give um, a permission slip, aka a technique that you can use that's very effective in the book. You know, the first book even, he talks about how waking up at like somewhere between two to three in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. right? That we'd be mm -hmm. better served to be more like cats where... You know, we would sleep maybe twice in a day, just get like three hours each time. And then we can blur those realities between the dream state and the wake state. Is that what you're referencing? Yeah. Uh, he, and he expounds upon all of that a lot more in depth in this book. So, yeah. Awesome. So, okay. Well then Seth, Seth being, is that, is Jane just able to tap into her dream state, right? So uh, essentially, let's we'll get a little technical here by saying um, maybe releasing the DMT molecule while being present to get that that clarity, just like Abraham, just like Bashar, just like you know, name your pick your poison, right? Some people when they feel connected, they just feel like oh, I'm just I'm on fire, I feel good, I'm in flow, and other mm -hmm. times people are like no, 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 it's actually it's a separate entity, it's it's a God force, a spirit force, whatever it is. And so yeah. here across the board, like how many preachers are given sermons and they're like, I have no idea what I even said. I wasn't even in my body. What are they defining? They're defining the exact same experience mm -hmm. when you're in flow and you're connected, you know, as a football player, the quarterback that can chuck it and, and land like literally like laser precision predicting where they're going the basketball player where everything slows down and you can actually thread the needle with that pass or you you pull up from half court and you just know it's going in and it's not just mm -hmm. like hey i just think it it's like you actually know it before it happens oh yes aren't these all the same they're different labels around the same kind of experience it's it's the idea of channeling and that's going to be another video topic and yeah for a lot of the listeners of this community you think of channeling as a different personality comes through you yeah that's one version of it but like you said a flow state when uh, an elite basketball player who's just on fire is channeling he's channeling his best self a musician who's in trance and is just nailing that solo is channeling 
when you are focused on something so intently that you're not even thinking anymore, you're just reacting and being just in the moment, that's channeling. Your personality mm. is also channeling. Tyler Drake, you're, per, you're channeling right now the personality of who you think Tyler Drake is. Or all just Friday, Friday the second. Yes, every, <laughs> every plank second, you're channeling. We're all, so, we're all channeling every day. Huh? Okay, so I, I feel like this is a great topic for our next episode. Yeah, um, okay. Because it, it all threads together. Don't you feel like this is oh, of course. a chronology here? So Grayson, I'd love to get some of his feedback on this, this dream session that, okay. that he was able to be here on. But um, that sounds like, because channeling is, I mean, define it however you want, like bringing your best self, right? Not being self-conscious, but being fully present, being fully connected, right? These are all iterations of channeling. There's, there's layers and levels to this shit. Okay, good. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, sweet. Wow. That was power packed. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say on uh on this uh this year episode? Uh, yeah, just just to reiterate once again, if if you take away anything from this dear listener, is to look into dreaming and eventually lucid dreaming. There's a plethora of resources out there. There's techniques that have been proven, time-tested over and over again to be effective, such as the one that I described earlier. It will change your life. Just check it out. If you don't listen, if you don't listen to any other episode or gain anything else out of whatever, or if the rest of what I say sounds like bullshit, just go into dreaming. You will find all the answers for yourself for sure. So yeah, Beautiful. that's it, man. Appreciate it. it. Yes, thank you. Leave your comments below if you want to hop on and actually join the conversation. Let us know and we'll invite you as a guest. Look forward to uh, the next experience and we'll talk to you soon.